we are going to be wrapping up our series called Confronting Christianity. So I think for a lot of you guys, this series has been challenging. I think it's been hard. Um, there have been, I've heard from a lot of people, they just don't know what to talk about. They don't know what to ask. They don't know how to follow up some of these conversations. And in many ways, that's a win because it means you guys are being challenged. It means you're trying to think and you have to think through and kind of push through some of these different topics. I've heard some good things from small group discussions too. Um, hopefully these things have been fruitful and healthy for you guys. Uh, and if you're maybe just jumping up in for us, with us this week for the first time, I'm glad you're here first of all. But to recap, we've talked about quite a few topics. I think we've talked about half of the topics that are in that book. Uh, if you did not get a copy of that book, by the way, I really encourage you to get it. It's a great book. It's a really good one. Um, she actually just had another book come out called Confronting Jesus, and it's a really, uh, it's a good read as well. But we've talked about, can we take the Bible literally? Pastor Austin uh, came and responded to the question, isn't Christianity homophobic? Which was, uh, it's a tough topic, and I think Pastor Austin did a good job uh, teaching of that. Pastor Sean was here with us the following week, and it was, why does a good God send people to hell, was the question he responded to. Uh, Pastor Jared came and talked to us about suffering and why does God allow suffering. And then last week, I had a chance to talk about diversity and respond to the question, doesn't Christianity crush diversity? And this week, we're going to wrap it up with one more topic, and I want to let you know right now, the structure of this is going to be just a little bit different because I'm going to talk and try to address the topic as best I can, but I want to save the last little bit for us to figure out how we can actually use this series effectively. How can we use the things, the topics that have come up, maybe some of the conversations that we've had to be able to have a more God-glorifying way of having these, these moments, these, these talking with other people when you can actually address some of these topics. So I want to reserve the last little bit for that. But first, I want you to think of a scenario with me, right? So imagine like, think of like a controversial topic, something you've talked about with somebody. Get that in your head. Um, I'll create a hypothetical. Like, let's say the controversial topic is, hypothetically speaking, that... You are not allowed to eat Chick-fil-A if you're under the age of 30, all right? Like, that's what, not only what we're, you're not allowed to do, but the Bible says you're not allowed to do that, all right? For the sake of the recording and for anybody else listening, this is a hypothetical. I'm not saying that the Bible actually says this, so you guys can eat Chick-fil-A as much as you want, okay? But let's think about this hypothetically. So this is something that is true, air quotes, and uh, you want to follow the Bible as best you can. But the world obviously would speak otherwise because Chick-fil-A is awesome, right? So they would be like, no, I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A like, as much as I want, whenever I want, and if you're in this scenario where you're talking with a friend, where you're talking with a family member, somebody that isn't a Christian, and they say, no, I want to do, I want to eat Chick-fil-A. I'm going to do that. Let's go to Chick-fil-A. And you say, no, like, I, I, I can't do that. Like, I'm, I believe in God. I believe in the Bible. And I think that the Bible says that I'm not supposed to. And a lot of times the response in these situations is, well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, that's not fair. And probably a lot of times in the back of your mind when conversations like this come up, you're like, yeah, it doesn't really seem fair. Like, that is what we, that is a lot of times what we think. 
And so today, uh, for the last topic that I want to cover is doesn't religion hinder morality? And today's topic is going to be a little bit headier. It's going to be a little bit like, it's going to take a little bit more thought. So I'm not going to spend like a ton of time on this because there isn't enough time to talk about this in 20 minutes. So I want to hit a few topics. But when I talk about this, a lot of times the world, and you guys have probably heard this, will say that religion will manipulate morality for the sake of controlling people. For saying that I want to control people, that there is a better option, right? You probably heard that, and you probably heard that from many people, but I want you guys to see that that's not true of God. That that's not what, that's not who God is, that's not what we're talking about when it comes to morality. And so, I want to cover two different topics today within this realm. Like I said, this is a greater conversation, there's a lot more that comes with this. And the first one that I want to talk about is justice, about understanding justice. And so, I want to figure out first kind of what justice means, because I think that's a word that gets thrown around a lot, or we use pretty flippantly, or we just kind of like use as a regular thing. So what does justice mean? So I was like, I have to go to the place where I can get the most trustworthy definition of justice, right? So a scheme or system of law in which every person receives his, her, its due from the system, including all rights, both natural and legal, from Google. So I wanted to make sure to get, you know, get the most trustworthy source I could. When we see justice, when we understand justice, it's, we see it as people receiving what they are due. Right? It usually has to do with the fact that somebody has broken some law, done something wrong, and so they have to receive the consequences for it. And that's, that is oftentimes how we understand justice. So more often than not, when we think of justice, we're thinking of justice in the realm of a courtroom, right? That somebody's coming before a, ju- before a judge, they are going to receive their sentence for the thing that they have done wrong. And so that's a pretty solid definition. I mean, it, in many ways, it makes sense. But there's some questions that naturally come off of that, like... Who determines what's right and wrong? We have to ask the question, who determines what's right and wrong? Who determines what justice is served? Who determines who deserves justice? Who determines what the punishment or the consequences should be for justice? These are things that naturally will come out of this conversation of when we're talking about justice because there has to be some sort of standard that is created. It just can't be anything. We can't just be doing whatever, but there has to be some sort of standard. And I think that there's two different perspectives of what I want to see here when we're understanding justice because when we understand justice, we have to think first about justice from the human perspective. How do humans understand right and wrong? So humans, our biggest thing is we love control. We love to be in control of a situation. We love to say, this is what I think is right. This is what I think is wrong. This is what I think we should do. This is what I think we shouldn't do. Those are some of our favorite things, and we often want to be the determiners of that. Think about Adam and Eve, right? In the garden, 
they were, they were told that they get to walk with God, they get to be with God, but they don't get to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they wanted, they were okay with that until they were tempted and wanted to know more, wanted to learn more. And so they, were, they went and they took control of that situation. And they sinned. They separated from God in that moment. The establishment of human right and wrong comes from human standards. And if it's coming from human standards, that also means that these are sinful standards. That's not good. That the standards that we are creating are out of sin. That the standards that we have are coming from a sinful perspective, right? And sometimes our understanding of right and wrong comes from what we think that we deserve. Who's, who are the road ragers in this room? Who's a road rager in this room? Be honest. I'm raising my hand. Yep. I am a road rager. I am guilty of it. Sydney would have called me out if I would have said I wasn't. And, uh, a lot of times when I'm on the road and somebody cuts me off or brake checks me or does something dumb, uh, usually one of the things that I start saying is like, this person shouldn't be driving anymore. They're too old. They, well, what are they doing on the road? They don't deserve to be on the road anymore, right? Too real. But I mean, in that moment, I'm like, I am in some way saying, I think that they shouldn't be driving. I think that they shouldn't be on the road. But how many times when I cut somebody off is the guy behind me screaming that I shouldn't be on the road? See, when we want to create our own right and wrong, when we want to create our own standards, we're doing it because it benefits us. It benefits us in what we want, in our selfishness. And in reality, that is not how God determines right and wrong. And so, if we're thinking about that's how humans understand right and wrong, I want to talk about how God understands it. When God sees right and wrong, when there's justice that's established from him, when he declares what is right and wrong, it's not coming from a perspective that's sinful. Right? He acts from a perfect standpoint, that his standpoint is one of sinlessness, And oftentimes, his declaration of when something is determined, like how can I determine if this is right or wrong, it's usually something, if it's wrong, it's sinful. Two, is it pointing, is it giving something else glory other than him? And three, is it harming his creation? That's a lot of times what we determine. And all of those things, all of those different things that we're thinking about, Those are from a perfect individual. Somebody that created a standard of justice that comes from a place that is not self-seeking, but that's seeking to show others what is good, what is right, what will ultimately be most beneficial for you. And we don't have to worry about the fact that he's gonna make a wrong decision. We don't have to worry about the fact that he's ever going to act in selfishness because that's not who God is. That's not in his character. Proverbs 28.5, it says, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. See, we're called to see that God will dole out justice. He will give justice to those who deserve it. 
We can be guaranteed that. We can be promised that. And that when we look at justice, our ju- we should be looking to God because those who look to God understand that he is understanding of good, understanding of right and wrong. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That God is going to do what he needs to do and we can trust and understand that he will do what is right because he created the perfect standard for right and wrong. And so, does religion, does Christianity crush morality? Does it make it wrong? And I would say no. Because the standard for right and wrong comes from a good and perfect God. The second thing that I want to look at when it comes to this topic is understanding the value of humans. So throughout history, there's been a lot of like different ways that humans have been valued. And many humans will look at other humans and value them differently. Sometimes it's for the color of their skin. Sometimes it's for their gender. Sometimes it's for the place that they grew up in or how they grew up. But no matter what, throughout history, other people have determined the value of others for different reasons. Think about, we talked a little bit about Pharaoh last week. Pharaoh, he took and enslaved people because of where they were from, because of who they worshiped. He determined their value immediately. Women throughout history have been constantly put down, constantly be told that they are less because of their gender, because of, what, because of how they are created, right? And so throughout, even at the time of the Bible, they were told that they are nothing more than people to take care of the home and to continue on generations. They were told their value. See, there, throughout history, people have been told so much, this is how much, this is how much you're worth. This is what your value is. There's some countries right now even where the value of a person is all about what, where they grew up or what their background is, what their status is. Sometimes people don't even have a choice. They're just put in that because it's what they've grown up into. And they are, their value is placed on that. And so as we're talking about this, I want to think about, so today, how do humans view value? How do they understand value? What does that look like? And there's a lot of different ways that this can go. Racism is still alive. Like, there are people that still look at the value of somebody else because of the color of their skin, and they look at them less. There are still people today that will prejudice people or look at other people because of their gender, because of their political perspective, they would rather keep that in mind than keep Jesus in mind. There are people, there are churches, I'm going to do air quotes again, churches that preach hate and anger. And so when people look at the church and think about the church, when they think about religion, when they think about Christianity, when they think about God, they're immediately thinking about the, what are the evil things that they've done. When we think about the church in history, we're thinking about 
the fact that the Catholic Church hundreds of years ago had controlled people because they could hold religion over their heads. The problem of where this question comes from. People think about the Crusades and the fact that there are people that were Christians that would go and they, would, they were trying to take over places because they were trying to tell others about Jesus by killing them. I don't really know how that works, but that's what people attribute. So when they think about the church, when they think about religion, they think about the things that hit the headlines of the news. But are they actually understanding what God thinks about people, what God thinks about his creation, how God values people. And so when humans look at religion or the church or specifically we're thinking about Christianity and God, they're thinking, what are all the hateful things that the church has done? But what has God done? How does God view people? There's a few things I want to touch on here. First off, God values women. That was like a, that was a, that's a big thing in the Bible. That was a big thing at the time of the church. It's still a big deal. Who, if you can, if you know, shout it out. Who was the first person to see Jesus after, he, when his, after his resurrection? Mary Magdalene. Awesome. God used a person that at the time, society, the world would have said, this person is nothing to show that he loves and values who she is. Awesome. Ruth, Esther, big parts of the Bible, big narratives that have a big impact for the church, for the narrative of God. Awesome. God loves, loves women. He hates bondage. He does not want people to be bound in slavery, to be bound by debt. He doesn't want humans owning another human that diminishes their value just because they might owe a debt or because of what they look like or where they come from. Even in Leviticus, there's rules about this. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. That God does not want a brother taking another brother into slavery. That's not what he wants. And where does this value start? Well, let's look uh, at Genesis 1. Oh, cut off a little bit up there. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. God loves his creation. That people are not just good, they're very good. He loves his creation. He created us in his likeness, in his image. God wouldn't do that and say, all right, now you guys get to pick how much another person is worth. No, he values. He values his people. He values his creation. The church today, the true church, people that are faithfully following are an awesome example of what it looks like to value other people, a reflection of God that statistics show that people that serve their communities, people that serve their communities because they're affiliated with the church, because they go to church, serve three times more than those that don't go to church. That's, now, I know that's numerical. It's not about the numbers, right? But there's, 
an effective look at the, that people are making a difference for the sake of the gospel. People can see that. God values his creation. He values people so much. And it can be reflected in the church. It should be reflected in the church that, we, that God does not crush or hinder morality. He does not crush or hinder the fact that humans should be valued because, in fact, he was the first one to value us so much that he sent his son to die so that we could have an opportunity at life. I think that's a high amount of value. That's a high amount of value. Now, before I kind of wrap up, like I said, I want to talk a little bit about this series and how we can use this series as we kind of continue to be better followers of Christ. So, the first thing that I want us to do is that I want us to see that good discipleship means growing in knowledge. Now, let me say this. Good discipleship starts with faith. It's always about faith. It's always about following Christ. It's always about being faithful to following God. It starts there. It will always be a part of who you are in your discipleship. But to desire to know more about God, to grow closer to him, to learn about who he is and his character, how he understands morality, how he values people, that's important stuff. So taking these things, putting them in your pocket so that you can know that when you read your Bible, that you can value God a little bit better. That when you can have these good conversations, you can do it knowing that this is a way that you're growing. But I have to say that growing in this knowledge shouldn't make you a butthead. And I mean that as seriously as I can make it sound. (laughs) I was talking to a friend a few nights ago, and he's really been learning about theology. And he's been digging and growing, and he's, he's really been making this a part of who, how he does his quiet time, is learning and digging in. And I love that too. Like, that's one of my favorite things. And one of my, other, one of my favorite things I do at this church, outside of Next, because I love you guys, is I get to lead Redemption Academy, which is our, like, pseudo-seminary course of the church. I get to lead that time. We talk about hard stuff. We talk about big words, things like that. It's a lot of fun um, if, you, if you're missing college for whatever reason. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And one of my things that I've realized is I tell them the same thing, is that good theology shouldn't make you a butthead. Because you could take this stuff that we've learned that we've talked about and you can go and say, you, you, should, you should really be like knowing this. Like, why don't you know these things? Why don't you know the Greek word for whatever, this thing or this thing? Or how, do you, how have you not read your Bible in this way? You don't know this? Like, you don't read your Bible every day? Like, think about how that comes across. I t- and so I tell them at the end of every one of our courses uh, each week that I tell them, all right, how can we use the things that we've learned today to worship God better? Because that's what helped me. That's what helped me become less of a butthead. Is to say, how is God going to use this to give him glory? And I told my friend that too. And he started to run with that as well. And there's two ways, real quick. One, it can help you have better conversations with people. Like, there will be times somebody will ask you something and you might not know the answer. 
that's okay. But maybe now, hopefully, as you've learned and maybe read and grown and talked with people, maybe you do have an answer. And that's a good thing too, to have these answers and to effectively seek out how we can do that doesn't mean we're doing it to disparage people or to point fingers at them or to tell them they're wrong, but to say it is worth it to point back to God. And that's why the second thing I always tell people is it just helps us in our worship of God to show that, he, that we value who he is, to va- that we value his presence in our life and the fact that his son sacrificed himself. And if we could take the things that we've learned, if you could take some of the hard things you've learned for these past six weeks and say, I learned this thing, and I get to give God glory for it. That's a win. You might never have a conversation pertaining to one of these topics, but if you can use what you've learned to point back to him, that is a win. I would love to hear that. And so when you guys go into small groups here in a minute, what you guys are going to do is uh, you'll have some questions about the topic that we talked about tonight, but also spend some time, if you find time, to talk a little bit about how you can use the series, what you can do to help give glory to God, to help point back to him. And this is the last week that we're doing this, at least for now, but if you have follow-up questions about tonight's topic or about the series as a whole, Scan that QR code. You guys have done a great job with asking questions. And I will shoot a uh, video tomorrow that will be like a Q&A style thing just to respond to some of those questions. And so like, like I said, if it's about the series as a whole or today's topic, scan that puppy and send those questions in. All right, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll send, break out into some small groups. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity that we get to dig into your word, to dig in and learn more and grow closer to you. Um, Lord, help us see that morality is something that you created, and that's a good thing. That there's not a sinful standard, that there's nothing about it that will effectively be difficult because you are perfect. Lord, help us to take these things we've learned and the knowledge that we've grown in to give glory to you, to not let it just feed our hearts and our selfishness, but ultimately so that we could see how amazing you are. Lord, I thank you for everybody in this room and uh, the fact that they decided to come here and join us tonight. And uh, I thank you for your son, his work on the cross. In your name I pray, amen.